And so, God, we ask that you would bless that discussion today, um, that it would be helpful, and, Lord, that when correction is needed, it would be done gently in love, and that this would just be a time that we enjoy studying your word together. So we ask for your blessing, for your presence, um, as I teach and as we discuss. And again, thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today, for, to worship you, and to gather together as Christians. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are in chapter 39. Chapter 39. One of Jim's favorite stories. Um, Chapter 39. We're doing Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The chapter 38 last week. So, give you a second to turn there. Drink a little more coffee. Okay. Well, last week we were in chapter 38. Al taught through the story concerning Judah and uh, Tamar. Um, And that story appeared to occur right after the events of chapter 37 with Joseph. And uh, in that story, Judah had at least three children. I'm not sure if he had uh, more. I can't remember exactly, but he had at least three. And so we know a few decades had passed uh, in the events of that chapter, I think we can assume that. And in this chapter, chapter 39, we're brought back to the end of chapter 37. Okay, so even though this is happening right after chapter 38, it's not, the events are not happening right after the events of chapter 38. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind, and later on we're going to want to think back to the timing of these things also. So... We'll, uh, we'll go back, we'll talk about Joseph a little bit more. First, let me look at verse 1 in chapter 39. Verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Okay, so we went through a long story in chapter 38. Before that, we went through a long story about Joseph. What has happened to Joseph? Where where are we? Let's remind ourselves of what's going on with Joseph before we continue the story. Say that again. Joseph's brothers. Okay, so Joseph's brothers were not happy with him. They got rid of him. Okay, why weren't they happy with him? This doesn't have to be directed specifically at you. You can answer, though. Why were th- favoritism? Jacob's favoritism. Sure, sure. What was, what was uh, Joseph's job regarding his brothers? To give a report back to Jacob. Yeah, to his father. And of course, he had that coat on that would tell everybody, this is the favored son, right? I think we might say jealousy. Might say jealousy, yeah. Well, Joseph didn't help with those retelling of those couple dreams where everybody else was bowing down to him. Yeah, you, you might think, you know, maybe it's best to keep that to yourself, Joseph. I don't know if I would be telling my brothers. But that's, he had this couple dreams that God gave him. And he shared them with his brothers. And they didn't like that either. And have, uh, have, have, has, have those dreams happened? No. At all yet? No, they have not happened yet. Okay, so we have to be wondering, maybe Joseph's wondering at this point, what, what's up with those dreams? <laughs> my brother's... Uh, 
His brothers didn't kill him, right? They wanted to kill him. Because Some of them. Oh, maybe he just had bad mutton the night before, right, right, or bad taco, okay. Um, so his brothers wanted to kill him, he didn't, they didn't kill him, and instead um, Judah was the one, right, who decided, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's sell him into slavery, let's, let's get something out of this. And so they sold him. Um, chapter 37, verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So that's how chapter 37 ended. Um, and you may have noticed it says Ishmaelites here, it says Midianites there. The narrator sees, seems to feel comfortable interchanging the Ishmaelites and the Midianites um, with one another. Um, I'm not entirely sure the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites could just be a term to refer to those from the east. Um, the Midianites were descended from Abraham's wife after Sarah, from that group. And so it's possible they could have intermarried. Um, but I don't know. But the narrator seems pretty comfortable calling the Ishmaelites Midianites. Um, Good. So we have the identity of the person who purchased Joseph from the Ishmaelites, Potiphar, the captain of the guard. All right. So we have his name. We have his position. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the role of the captain of the guard was. Um, as I researched it, you got different uh, opinions. But the idea being communicated is that he had an important position among Pharaoh's officers. He would have been an important, powerful, and busy man. Okay, all right. Let's uh, let's keep going with the story. Verse two. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Pretty impressive. Okay, so what was Joseph's job after Potiphar bought him? To run everything, right? Yeah, to run things. Who said that? I heard someone. Okay, Desmarie, great. Yes. He, uh, he, he ran everything that Potiphar, this powerful man, everything that he owned and possessed. He was in charge of it all. In the West, uh, Major Domo, I think, is a sometimes term used. Major Domo? Yeah. I don't know that term. You don't? No, I don't. It might, maybe it's a common it, term. It's, it's a servant, but it's a servant who's so powerful, he's, he's like a... Okay. More more than just the head butler, it's like. Well, where where in the West would that be used? Oh, like in a. England. England, like a like a Downton Abbey type. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm not. I wasn't familiar with it. That's interesting. Okay. So yes, like a major domo, if you're familiar with that. Um, okay. Yeah. So he uh, he was in charge of everything in Potiphar's possession except. For the food he ate, which I assume is uh, some an idiom just referring 
to uh, his private affairs, the, thing that, the things that Potiphar wouldn't want someone to be in charge of. You know, if you, if you were in charge, if you had a large estate and you put someone in charge of it, you wouldn't want someone telling you when or where or what you can eat, that type of thing. So um, that's why I assume that refers to. Um, Joseph was successful. Why was he so successful? Say that again. God smiled on him. Okay, that's a... The smiled part is an interesting way to put it, yes. But God, God was with him. Yes, that's right. Um, Joseph was successful because God was with him. Who else benefited because of Joseph's success? Potiphar. Potiphar did. Um, okay. So, since... Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar promoted Joseph um, to this position. Um, And so Potiphar had success on account of him promoting Joseph. So the Lord was blessing Joseph. Potiphar promoted Joseph. And then he experienced a lot um, of success because of Joseph and promoting him. What should that remind you of? Um, Trying to think of a better way to ask this. Jacob and Laban? No, it's hard to ask this without giving away the answer. I think I'm just going to say it anyways. What what promise should this remind you of? Maybe it's not. Well, that's that's all right. Yeah, say that again. I said, what what promise should this remind you of? Potiphar um, experiencing success on accounts of the Lord being with Joseph. Okay, so we'll go back to Genesis 12 and saying, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Okay, so that's, um, and the nations will be blessed on account of you. And so that is what this reminds me of. When we go back to Genesis 12, and let me read something from Ross, uh, a comment he makes. It says, the point to be made from this statement and supported from verse 3 is that this was not any ordinary prosperity. It was phenomenal and unexpected. Because even Potiphar had to admit that the Lord was with him, causing him to prosper. Joseph's industry and success found favor in Potiphar's eyes, and so he appointed Joseph overseer over his whole house. Because this man recognized the work of the Lord and honored Joseph, the Lord blessed his household, so that the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had. The text illustrates then the promise that whoever blessed the seed of Abraham would be blessed. Potiphar trusted Joseph and enjoyed a share in divine blessings on the lad. Um, and similarly, Walke adds, the Lord's power overflows through the Semitic Joseph to the Hamitic Egyptians, just as the Lord promised Abraham in Genesis 12. The idea being that a foreign people can experience the blessing of God through his chosen people simply because of his presence with them. It's interesting to think of Okay. Yeah, so that's a way to think about it. I mean, it's it's. What well, what's the alternative to what Joseph could have had? It could have freed him, but I don't know how well he would have, off he would have been in Egypt if he freed him. So. Well, what's the more realistic alternative to what Joseph could have had? I don't think he, he purchased him. Or put him at the bottom of a barrel, or put him in, or in prison, or anything. Yeah. 
anything besides that. Um, there's a lot worse that he could have experienced. So, anyways, Joseph's in authority over uh, Potiphar's possessions, and he's in authority of everyone in the household. So there'll be a lot of people in the household, a lot of slaves, a lot of workers. All right. Now, we continue on. Um, before we continue on, in chapter 23, the Lord had promised to be with Isaac when he was going to dwell in the land of the Philistines during a famine. In chapter 28, the Lord had promised to be with Jacob after he had fled from a brother who was trying to kill him and was entering into a new land alone. And we saw what it meant for the Lord to be with both those men in those stories. And now we see here that the Lord is with Joseph. And we'll get to see more of what it means when Scripture says that the Lord is with someone. All right, let's continue on. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, that's kind of a strange comment that you're not expecting, right? Just kind of pops out there. The Net Bible says, now Joseph was well-built and good-looking. And I like that one. They take a little bit more freedom with the translation. Um, But... Well, not well, not yet, <laughs> not yet. It will make sense. Yes, yes. It doesn't make sense yet, though. It kind of is just you're not expecting it. Um, Alter writes, and Joseph was comely in features and comely to look at. These are exactly the words used to describe Joseph's mother, Rachel, in twenty nine seventeen. They signal an unsettling of the perfect harmony of Joseph's divinely favored stewardship, that comprehensive management of all that is in the house as they provide the motivation for the sexual campaign of his mistress. That is the come. Campaign. I like that. Um, All right, let's keep going in verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Um, now, one thing you might have noticed is that Potiphar has been not been referred to by his name since verse 1. You're going to see throughout the story, it's going to say something else. What does it say instead of his name? Is it, do all of you say his master? Yeah. So that point is going to be emphasized. It's going to say his master, his master, his master. It's not going to say Potiphar again. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, you might have also noticed the difference in length in the wife's statements compared to Joseph's. Um, lie with me. Uh, Alter says that the extraordinary bluntness of this sexual imperative, two words in the Hebrew, makes it one of the most striking instances of revelatory initial dialogue in the Bible. Against her two words, the scandalized and perhaps nervous Joseph will issue a breathless response that runs the 35 words in the Hebrew. It is a remarkable deployment of the technique of contrastive dialogue repeatedly used by the biblical writers to define the differences between characters in verbal confrontation. And young. He was probably, or, well, he's younger than her, but he was certainly young. Well, he was 17 the last time we saw him, right? I think that's how old he was. A nervous teenager? I mean, it sounds 
He's a, he's a young man. We don't know how much time has passed, but he's definitely a young man. Yeah, that's right. Um, does the author give us an indication of how long this went on? I kind of just answered that. But what do we see in this passage, how long this went on? It just says day after day. Yeah. So, a good period of time. But it happened, it happened day after day, and she kept propositioning to him. And he kept saying no. That's right. So you wonder what she did every time after he said no. But uh, this was not a one-time event, but a consistent thing happening every day, wherever her busy, whenever her busy husband left. Um, why does Joseph resist? What would be wrong with sleeping with her? Okay, he has a pretty lengthy explanation. Let's let's uh, let's talk about it. Okay, so Jim says it would be a betrayal of the trust given to him over um, that his master has graciously given to him. Yes, okay, that's one. That's one reason. And the sin against God. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting that this uses a little bit more of the generic term for God here instead of Yahweh. Um, but maybe that's an appeal to Potiphar's wife. Maybe she would relate to that a little bit better. I'm not sure. Um, Okay, so it would be a sin against God. Interesting. What else? Who else would be a sin against? Or an offense against? Hmm? Potiphar. Yeah. Okay, well, we already said that a little bit, but it would be betraying his trust, and it would be a sin against him, and it would be a sin against God. So those are the three reasons. Um, one commentator says he gives three reasons that the suggestion might be rejected. Like we said, it's an abuse of great trust placed in him. It is an offense against her husband, and it is a great sin against God. Other biblical texts also describe adultery as a great sin. But this attitude was widespread in the ancient Orient. Notice that in talking to an Egyptian, Joseph speaks of God rather than Lord, the uniquely Israelite name of God. Um, how would Joseph have known that this is a sin against God? He doesn't have the scriptures yet, right? Not by his family? How would they have known? Is there an instance that happens before where God is clearly uh, would be upset by the defilement of uh, a marriage relationship? Abimelech, yeah. That's the only one I can think of, at least, where maybe they, maybe they pass it down. But Abimelech, Abimelech with, uh, can you tell us about that story a little bit. What happened with Abimelech? Which one? Well, you do Abraham. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think it was another famine, and they, they yeah. sought refuge. Yeah. And Abraham did his old, same thing he did in Egypt. It was, um, we'll, be, we'll be better off if you pretend to be my sister. Yeah, my that's wife. right. Mm-hmm. Harem didn't have a relationship with her yet, but he went into her harem. Yeah. And God more or less warned him that if you do, if you continue this, your your people are, are history. Basically. Yeah, I think I think he said you're a dead man, right? <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe from that, or it could be like he said, this general idea that 
that might have been accepted at the time that this is wrong to have for me to have relationships with you who are married who are married to another man this is wrong this is a sigan in that sense we don't have everything that's part of the family of no. Spiritually. No. We don't know what all the interactions between them and God or, or what they have reasoned out and talked to each other and all this type of thing. And we're, we're, you know, the, the author just picks what seems to be the most or what God leads me to believe is the most important. So yes. We don't, we don't, we don't it doesn't give every detail of, uh, of what's going on. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it's, a, but it's, it's interesting. This is where Joseph... This is how Joseph uh, opposes uh, Potiphar's wife. So let's continue on. Verse 11. But one day, when he went to the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled out and got out of the house. Okay. So we have this relationship between these two people. One is a slave. um, And... They're seeing each other every single day. And apparently she was willing to not go to this length for a while. And he was saying no for a long time. And then finally, one day, it just becomes uh, more than it has consistently been. Uh, Alter puts it this way. She sees him by his garment saying, lie with me. The two-word sexual command, which is all she ever is reported saying to Joseph, is now translated from words into aggressive action. Garment is a generic term. It is certainly not on the an, not an outside garment or coat, though the Revised English Bible's loincloth probably goes too far in the opposite direction. In any case, Joseph would be naked or nearly naked when he runs off, leaving the garment behind in her grasping hand. Um, so it's a, a very aggressive action by Potiphar's wife. So she becomes aggressive. She takes drastic action to get what she wants from Joseph. And Joseph has to take equally drastic action to avoid, as he would put it, doing something wicked against his master and against God. I, I think probably by our, our culture's definitions, that would probably be considered a sexual assault. I'm not completely sure, but it's pretty close to it. Not. Yeah. Priscilla agrees. Sorry, I'm not trying to let the moment land or anything. I just need a sip of coffee. Mm. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. It's very serious. Yes, it's aggressive, it's serious, it's sexual assault. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's continue. Um, verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Okay, what's her strategy? What does she do after her encounter with Joseph? Okay, well, she denies it, yes. Attack the victim. Revenge. Attack the victim, revenge. Who's she, who's she say it to? Her 
Not her husband yet. Yeah, to the other servants. Okay. To the only people, other people around in the house. Um, so she's gaining witnesses, support for her side of the story. Right? Joseph just flees and escapes. He could have done something similar, I guess, but he, he just fled. And Potiphar's wife takes the opportunity to tell everyone uh, her side of the story, what she, thinks, what she says happens. Um, what is untrue about her accounts? To the others, what is untrue? What is true? <laughs> well, there's a lot that's true. Really? Yeah. He brought in a Hebrew man. <laughs> brought in a Hebrew man to laugh at us. Yeah, we don't know if that's true or not. Maybe, maybe he did. We don't know. <laughs> what? He's a Hebrew man. That's true. What else? What is untrue? We'll talk about if 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 not and a lot of it is true. What's untrue? Okay, let's let's be a little more specific. <laughs> she claims she screamed for help. Obviously not. Okay. Um, now you could you could argue that she yelled, cried out with a loud voice, lie with me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Al says that's implausible. Go ahead. They tried to make sport with her. Um, he came in to lie with me. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's fine. Um, okay, so but that that he came in with the purpose of lying with her. Sure, that's that's not true. Yeah, Linda. Oh my goodness, it's been so long. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, maybe this was the best opportunity to do it to where she would not get she could make the sly up and people would believe her. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so we talked about the garment. Okay, so she tore the garment from him, right? It was in her hand, and he did not leave it beside her. Um, that's a difference there. Um, and let's see what else. Uh, he did run outside. He did flee. Huh? There you go. There you go. Um, to laugh at... So we're um, to laugh at us means to mock or humiliate. So that's what she's accusing Potiphar of doing uh, by bringing this Hebrew in. Um, and so what I just said it, but what's the peculiar way in which she I, refers to Joseph? That Hebrew, slave. that Hebrew slave. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. That refers to she refers to him by his ethnicity. Um, Alter writes, rather contemptuously, she refers to her husband neither by name or title. And the designation Hebrew is common when the group is referred to in contradistinction to other peoples, but it may well have been pejorative associations for Egyptians. She is probably suggesting that the very supremacy of this foreigner in the household is an insult to them all. Um, good. Okay, I think we talked about the rest. We can keep going. So she's given up on 
seducing. Well, that and has chosen to switch to um, revenge. Revenge, accusing, I mean, she could yes. Have she could have made kept it quiet and continued on, but even she's gotten fed up with. Well, it seems to have escalated to the point where she had to either do this or risk her husband hearing about it from Joseph. Go ahead, Priscilla. There's no breathless 35-word response. Yeah, This has been going on for a while, and so he knows at this point all he can do is just, just run. Yeah. Free from all youthful lusts and desires. Yeah. Literally here. <laughs> okay. Verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her master by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Okay, so now that she would have the support of everyone in the household, she repeats the story to her husband, to Joseph, uh, with Joseph's garment next to her as her evidence. Okay, what does the narrator call her husband, by the way? Here, say that again, Jim. His lord, his his master. Yeah. He keeps referring to him as his master. She didn't say her husband. He doesn't say Potiphar. It's always his master, his master, his master. Um, the story is still a lie, but what's different about it from the story she gave to the other slaves? What's different about it? Where are you reading it? Hmm? Oh, I'm at verses 16 through 18. Okay. What is different about this account that she's giving to her husband? You can take some time to think about it. Okay, I've heard it. Let's go over here. I heard a voice over here. Um, okay, instead of accusing Potiphar of bringing in the Hebrew to laugh at us, she accuses um, Potiphar of bringing in this Hebrew who came to laugh at me, um, to mock or humiliate. Yeah, Bethany? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was certainly trying, it seemed like she was trying to uh, gain solidarity with the slaves in her, her initial account. I think the IV might be trying to do a little interpretive on the make, uh, laughing that mm. uh, when she was talking to the men and when she was talking to her husband, it says make sport of. Um, a little more than just laughing. He, he was, yeah. he was going to do something with her because he felt he had the, the power to do so. Or, yeah, you see laughing, you see some translations say playing, uh, mock. I think the idea is... Um, uh, humiliate is a good, good word. And I, th- I think he was going to do more than just taunt her verbally. Right, that's right. That's right. I think that's right. It's a, 
um, holding her into contempt, ridicule, and then she's claiming something more. If you remember Dinah and Shechem and Dinah, and when it referred to them, um, the scripture said that uh, Shechem humiliated her. Um, and so, it's, they're different words, though. So, anyways, um, but I think the idea here to laugh at is to humiliate. But that is the difference, uh, is that initial statement that uh, you brought up, Tracy. She's throwing it to you for missiles, I think, when she's talking to her husband. Yeah, she doesn't say to her husband. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, he, yeah, he to come into me and to lie with me, to come into me could be a, a, a play on words um, as well. So she's not, she's certainly indicating something, uh, he was trying to do something terrible. Um, Ross says, the story unfolds in cycles, temptation and refusal, temptation and refusal, then false ac- accusation to the men and fal- ac- false accusation to Potiphar, and finally imprisonment. By this repetition, the narrative, the narrative is heightening the issue. Joseph's determined resistance met with doubly wicked false accusation, and the latter won out. All right, let's continue on. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Um. Literally, his anger was kindled, his, his nose was burning. I always find that funny. Anyways, verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, at the place where the king's prisoners were convo- confined, and he was there in prison. So Potiphar's wife's strategy was a success. With the overwhelming testimony against him and evidence in the wife's hands, Potiphar becomes angry at Joseph and imprisons him in the king's prison. Um, now, it could have been, Potiphar certainly could have done more than just imprison him, I think. He probably could have just executed him. Um, maybe he had doubts about his wife's... It makes you wonder, at least, maybe, what, about the testimony. and Or maybe Joseph was just such a loyal servant to him. Maybe he trusted Joseph more than uh, it comes off here. But... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's there's holes in her story is what you're saying, John. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we don't know if this may be not the first time that she's tried to some, some sort of story or something other. Well, that might be the first time someone's resisted her like Joseph has. So he has enough. Yeah. Anyway, maybe, maybe, maybe he sort of believes her, but he, he still respects Joseph in some way. Perhaps, perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe that's why he ends up in prison. I would assume that he would just execute Joseph, but he doesn't. He puts him in the king's prison, uh, in the house prison. Um, okay. And that's, that's, where, that's it. That's where, that's where we're going to end today. Because I think it's a good um, ending for this story that we're at, where we're at at least, because the rest of the chapter, there's a few more verses, goes really well with what's going to happen next. And we began with the story of Joseph being thrown in the pit and being sold. And now we're ending with the story of Joseph being imprisoned. I think verse 23 kind of reinforces what part of this chapter talks about. Yes, we will, it's, it's important. We will go through it next week, I promise. So it's, it's a very important, but I, want to, I would like to end here with this point. Um, just because um, 
Well, let me ask first, what was, what was the result of Joseph's faithfulness to God? Well, at this point, he's in prison. He's in prison, yeah. He's in prison. And before... That's not the whole story. But it is part of the story. It is part of the story. You're right, it's, it's not the whole story. And that's very important. Um, he resisted, and he fled temptation, and he was rewarded by being falsely accused and imprisoned. Um, what do you think would be his immediate response to this? And what would be your immediate natural response to this? It depends. It depends. <laughs> How close are you walking with God? Okay. It depends. Well, I mean, you're. I, I think you're. Uh, I, I would have a much harder time. I feel like if it was me. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Anybody, what, what would be, what would you think be his most immediate natural response? No good deed goes unpunished. No good deed goes unpunished. I like that. <laughs> He's not a New believer. That would be his immediate response. I, mean, no, no, I know, I'm kidding. I mean, we, we shouldn't read too much into what, what we would expect of, of, a, of a well-mature Christian believer. What would be your response, Jonathan? I don't know. You don't know? I'll tell you what my response would be. I would be very cynical. I would be in a lot of doubt. I'd be kind of upset. Like, this is what I get for obeying God and fleeing this and acting faithfully. That, that, would, be, that would be my response. Um, and if somebody said to him, Joseph, you could have been executed. That really wouldn't have made us feel any better, would it? You know, it, it would be true. God, God looked out for you and you didn't get executed. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Believed in the afterlife, you might have said, "I'd rather been executed." Than being, uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot I don't plan for. Um, <laughs> that wasn't good for God's plans, but I mean, Joseph might have thought that was it. Would have been preferable than uh, putting out nasty of a prison that was. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe. I think we can relate to at least the situation he's in, though, where obedience is not always, like faithfulness and obedience, we don't always see an immediate reward for it afterwards. A lot of times it seems like something terrible happens as a response of our faithfulness. Yeah, that's right. And I, the reason I'm ending here is because I think that's what we can take away from this is that our life circumstances, as bad as they are, um, it doesn't mean that God is not with us. And it doesn't mean that you're not acting faithfully, but it can feel like it. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Yeah. Yeah. But... <laughs> we yeah. want both. <laughs> we want both. And I think uh, we also have to remember for Joseph that we don't see the big ultimate picture, at least not like we do see for Joseph, um, where we can see how this is going. Joseph can't see what we can see. And I think Al brought up Ruth last time. Like, Ruth can't, Ruth didn't know that her, was a great-grandchild, was going to be King David, and that ultimately the Messiah would come from her faithfulness to the Lord. She didn't know any of that. So, anyways, we can't 
We don't often see the results of our faithfulness. Sometimes the Lord allows us to receive the results of our faithfulness, and that's really wonderful. A lot of times we don't see the results of it, but it doesn't mean that God isn't using it. For example, if you're sharing, if you took a risk to go and share the gospel with someone and you immediately get rejected by them, or if you have been faithfully giving to someone who needs it and they just squander everything you give, or if you have been mentoring someone for years and years and years and they seem to just reject and turn against everything that you have been teaching them, um, that doesn't seem like a reward, a reward for your hard work. But we can't see everything that's happening. And it doesn't mean that God's not with us. And it doesn't mean that we haven't been acting faithfully. And God wants us to act faithfully. And as Jim, as you said, we'll get to see a bigger picture as we study the story next week. Let me go ahead and end early. Yeah. Oh, Ken. Maybe not early. Oh, okay. Sorry. Spoke, spoke too soon. <laughs> Yes. You know, restored and, 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 and that. But we don't always get to see that anyway. No. No. Not in this life, at least. Yeah, not in this life. We, we don't get to see that anyway. But, but that's, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's right. Faithfulness, you know, has its reward. If not here, then certainly with the Lord. Yeah. Joseph gets to see that ending, and that's wonderful. It's good, and it's part of God's promises and purposes for him. But yeah, he, we don't always get to see that ending like Joseph does. But ultimately, one day, we will get to see everything, and that's going to be pretty wonderful. And, and the other thing, Clancy, yeah. had no guarantee he was not saved. That's right. He was in exactly the same position we would be with some of the examples mm-hmm. we're talking about, mm-hmm. that your bad things happen to you, or your reject, or whatever, and this side of heaven, you may never know. You just may have to say, my job is to do what God wants me to do, not getting the result I think there ought to be. Yeah. That's yeah. the hard human part. That's the hard human part. That's right. That's the very hard part. How should we respond to those things? And I always suggest, try to remember how God has uh, worked in your life before. And use that as motivation, as God has done this before. Kind of like with Joseph. And, uh, you know, I was in this position before, and God can take me out of it again. Go ahead. Yes, Mary. I visit my family Wednesday night. I'll be there next weekend. My mom and dad are just, they're just dragging each other nuts. And it's kind of interesting because I come away just feeling like, okay, what next? I mean, literally, okay, what next? And um, I was shocked. Shocked. My mother bought me a vacuum cleaner, $359, just came to my house. They bought me a pair of earrings, they bought me a bracelet, just because. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And they told me about it in a little way, in a little bitty way. And I was like, I was just floored, literally floored. I just went, because I was not looking for those things. I was just going and doing. I was just going and being. I was just going and whatever you need, Mom, I'll do it. Whatever you need, Dad, I'll do it. My dad yelled at me. He frustrated all that. Like, okay, Dad, what next? Oh, you know, because he, he is having a little problem with his memory and stuff, and he remembers me, and he remembers all 
Joseph, he's just doing a good thing. That's all I was doing. I was just going and being. I'm, I'm going and doing. And I had no idea how my seven men. None. And so they did this for me. I was just shocked. And, and when we look at things and we look at people and we just go and do and we're mm. in the business of being. And this has been since my stroke. I, guess, I guarantee you that. This is two years ago. I was being different about this. I'm certain of it. But it's just, it is so unbelievable. And it was so, I just fell over. I cried because I had no idea that my parents loved me that much. I didn't because they never say it. But that's them. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's so rich when you get a flavor of it. So whatever else you do, don't give up. Just don't. Yeah, you never know how much your faithfulness it means to someone else. Exactly. Certainly. Yes. Thanks, Jess Murray. Let me go ahead and close this now because now we're late. So let me, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in Christ. And God, though, what we're talking about here, what Joseph is going through, these times where um, we don't know how things are going to end and we have to just live faithfully, Lord, those times are, are difficult. And so, God, we... Um, Thankful for, we're thankful for your promises. We're thankful for how you've worked in our lives and the hope you've given to us. And God, we ask that your spirit would help us to remember um, your goodness, your loyal love to us, and to live faithfully in response. We love you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. <laughs>